For those that were already thinking it, uh, Mike Haugen beat you to the punch. This is my first sermon preaching as an official licensed pastor. And uh, the bulletin says Pastor Lyle Hughes, which is a first for me, and Mike Haugen already wanted an autograph, so you know. (laughs) Mike gets the first one, so any of you that want it afterwards, it's not going to be as valuable. Uh, But as we come into today, I'm excited to bring you into God's Word in Galatians 3. And one of the reminders that I had is, I have stuff prepared, but ultimately it's God that's going to be doing the work. Um, When you don't preach as often, I keep getting these questions, are you ready? And my answer, no. Now, for those that are there, don't worry. I have six pages of notes, and I'll try to get through them fast. I'm a fast talker sometimes. But why I say I'm not ready is because as I've prepared and as I looked at this, and I'm talking about faith, I'm convicted. It hits me with the things that I struggle about. The things that I don't trust in God in all the circumstances. And as you read God's word, as you get into it, you're like, yeah, it's grace through faith. Christ gave it to me. And I don't always use it. I don't always trust him. I trust in my own abilities, the things I can do, rather than seeing Christ as the person that paid it all. There was a missionary, her name was Corey Temboon. some of you may be familiar with her, and she had two quotes about faith. Faith sees the invisible, believes the unbelievable, and receives the impossible. She also says, faith is like radar that sees through the fog. The reality of things at a distance that the human eye cannot see. And so today I want to pose a question. As we're sitting here, as we're about to jump into Galatians 3, how do we define faith? How do you personally define faith? As we look in Galatians, you'll see the people of Galatia, how they define faith. Paul, in Galatians, really was hitting home against the heretics, the false teachings, the things that were creeping into the church there. And I'd like to pose to us that even in our idea of faith, we have those same things creep in. We can be deceived. We can think that we have a true faith centered in Christ, but we let things cloud that, cloud that vision, creep in. I used my trusty source of Google and typed in a faith definition, and it gave me this. Faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. And as I started looking through the Bible, and verses, 
I want to challenge us that a definition for faith should be, in a Christian sense, is more than that. Faith to us should be a strong belief in God and his work based on strong conviction of his character, the things he gave us, and the things he said. I'm going to say that again. Faith to us should be a strong belief in God and his work based on a strong conviction on his character, the things he gave us, and the things he said. And it poses the next question of what object are we putting faith in? In this worldly sense of faith or faith in God? And when I say worldly faith or things that can seep in, most of the time people put in my abilities. I can play a guitar, so I'm going to go do worship team. I'm really good at talking and being like a big kid, so I'm going to go work with the kids. I'm going to serve in this ministry. I'm going to do this. I, have, I can give this. But if it's not with the right heart, the right surrender, having faith that God can use that rather than, hey, look, I have all these abilities, I can do it. That's my ability. What can God do through me and outflow into the things I do? Hebrews 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the, cer- is the certain... Now faith is the certainty of things hoped for, a proof of things not yet seen. Hebrews 11, faith chapter, shows a lot of things with the Old Testament of how God blessed those that were faithful. It says, by faith. By faith, Moses did this. By faith, Abraham did this. By faith. And it starts off with, now faith is the certainty of things hoped for, a proof of things not yet seen. Do we have that motto? (laughs) When something hard happens, when we're told of a sickness, if we have a family member die, if we lose our job, if we fill in the blank, do we have this faith that I know God's going to do something because I've seen it because of what his word says? Oswald Chambers says, Faith never knows where it is being led, but it loves and knows the one who is leading. Galatians 3 is in the middle of Galatians. There's five chapters, maybe, I hope. Um, But in this Galatians 3, he's talking about justification by faith. And he really starts breaking apart this idea of living by the law, but living by faith. Because these Judaizers, I'm great with words today, um, and these Jewish people, they thought that they needed to live by the law and do all these good things. But in turn, Christ and Paul was challenging them of, 
It's by faith. It's by faith you can do these things. You won't amount into anything. Those don't justify you. You can do good things, but it won't save you from your sin. And we're going to start in Galatians 1. I'm going to read a little bit of the beginning because you need to know context. I love context. My youth group kids can tell you. But we need to know why Paul is sending this letter. And then we'll get into Galatians. And so as we go, we're going to break apart Galatians 3. We're going to break apart the law. We're going to break apart how faith works. And then the hope and the challenge is, how does this work for me? And maybe you can see similarities of how it affects you and me sitting here in church. So will you pray with me uh, before we read God's word? Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would be the one honored. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your word. Lord, I pray that as we dissect your word, as we jump in here, that it won't be my words, but it would be yours. Thank you for the opportunity to be here and be convicted. Know of my shortcomings. Lord, and still you use me. Lord, I pray that you be honored and you be glorified. In your name, amen. So I'm going to start in Galatians 1. I'm going to read a little bit, and then we'll talk about what's going on. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through human agency, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is not just another account, but there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, even now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. For I am now seeking the favor of people or from, of God, or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel which was preached by me is not of human invention. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former way of life in Judaism... How I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to distort, destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral tra traditions. But when he who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace 
was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. It continues on in Galatia, and Paul gives his account. He basically gives his resume. He tells the church of Galatia what was preached to them, tells them the problem, tells them it's not his, but where his information is coming from, the credibility of its gods. It's not his. And he makes this bold statement that it is a different gospel. Not the true gospel, a different gospel. They had made it their own. Something distorted from what Paul was preaching of the good news of what Christ did on the cross. Can you see similarities to the church today? We can take this gospel, God's word, and distort it. We can make it something that makes sense in my mind. Well, I don't like what that wording says, so maybe we'll, you know, water it down. Make it so that people will come in. And that's where we can lose what Christ has actually spoken into our lives. When preaching, you read a lot of commentaries. And I wrote a commentary, read a commentary by John MacArthur, and he wrote this. Throughout the history of the church, some believers have begun well, but later have been pulled away from the truths they first believed and followed. They received the gospel of salvation by grace and live for the Lord in humble faith. But then fall prey to some system of legalism and works of righteousness that promises more but produces much less. Some fall into formalism, substituting external ceremonies and rites for the eternal reality of personal growth in the Lord. Others fall into legalistic systems of do's and don'ts, proudly hoping to improve their standing before God by doing or not doing certain things. Still others look for a second blessing, a spiritual secret to unlock some higher plane of spirituality, an additional experience of grace, hoping to receive more of God than they imagined was granted to them at conversion. We can see that there's been a track record of the church of going with their own heart. God has his track record of how he's been faithful. And Paul is trying to wake up this church of Galatia to what's going on. Galatians 3 is part of this letter that goes to the heart of the Galatians' belief system. Paul wanted the Galatians to see that they were justified by faith and not by the law. So let's read Galatians 3. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? 
before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, so then does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Even so, Abraham believed God and was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations. Even though it is only a man's covenant, Yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one. And to your seed, that is Christ. What I am saying is this. The law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God. So to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise. But God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Now, a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given, which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on the law. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs 
according to the promise. Paul was very clear in this chapter and laid a couple things out for us. Don't worry, we're going to hit Abraham. Abraham's later. But I want to hit on the intro. Paul wanted the Galatians to wake up and not be deceived. I hope you see in Galatians 1 through 5, Paul, (laughs) very clear, you foolish Galatians. Paul was concerned and angered at what the church in Galatia was doing. And this wasn't out of spite. He had a brotherly love in Christ for them and was concerned for their health, their spiritual health. And Paul was confronting the Galatians about their blindness and contortion of the truth. I forgot I had a slide and I should probably use this. This word foolish... I'm going to let you guys know, I'm not no Hebrew or Greek scholar, um, is anotos, and it does not connote, uh, I'm not an English scholar either, um, does not connote mental deficiency, but mental laziness. So when he's saying, you foolish Galatians, he's saying, you mentally lazy Galatians. You're not seeing what's going on in the church. You're not applying what God has directed into our lives. In the same way, we become mentally lazy. We mark off the checkbook. I tithe today. I came to church. I put on a good shirt. We make it a thing that we do. We put traditions. We put in a sense, rituals to things that we come to church. And I would love to have Raul keep preaching because his little thing over here about worship directs right into faith. We make faith into this thing of, I got God, God's right here, I can just trust him in everything. Which you can, but do we? When the going gets tough, Do I keep going with the Lord or do I go with what's familiar? What I like. Paul, in this intro, wanted them to remember what the Holy Spirit had done in their lives, not the things they were following. In verses 2 to 4, he asks a lot of questions. He starts bringing to point the Spirit. God gave us the Spirit so that we can look into his word, that we can be in relationship with him. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit from the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Or in other words... Did you remember where you started? God gave you the spirit to look at his word. But now it looks like you're doing your own thing. I'm perfected by what I do rather than what Christ did 
and is doing for me. Romans 8, 1 through 4 says this, Therefore there is now no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the to the Spirit. Usually the first thing that comes to mind when I think of faith is I need to do this. I need to pray. I need to read my Bible. I need to do this. And I want to challenge us. Faith is more than that. Faith is this aspect of, I believe God's going to work things out of my life in every aspect, in the little things, in the good things, in the bad things, and just being, yeah, God's going to work. And it's not a happy-go-lucky of, God's for me, I got this, of, yes, There are going to be difficulties. There's going to be times when you fail. But knowing that God can justify you through your failure is where we need to come to. We need to come to that foundation. This idea of the law and the works, they were there to verify salvation, not produce it. The law was set for them to see their sin. And then good works, that didn't produce salvation. It was to verify that if I have faith in Christ, it's going to change the way I do things. It's going to show that I'm living my life different And it's going to show that Christ has redeemed me. And also in this intro, Paul wanted the people to remember what God the Father had done in their lives. God provided them the Spirit. He worked in their lives. There's many different examples that you could look that God provided for them to come to the realization that he was overall. But us, like the Galatians, they were focusing on the law and laid importance on the law rather than a relationship in Christ and faith in Christ, which in turn would affect how they live their lives. As I was looking at Galatians, I thought it would be good to define the law, to look at the law and what the law does by itself. 
Because for me, I need to dissect words and be like, okay, yes, they had the law. We don't have the Ten Commandments that, like, we're living under. We know the Ten Commandments, and they're good things, and we shouldn't have another God before ourselves. We shouldn't curse. We shouldn't steal. Yet, we do. But I think it's good to see what the law does by itself. And this is directly from Scripture. So in verse 10, it shows us, it curses those who do not abide by the law. Now, for those just working for salvation, living by the law, it says in verse 10, For as many are the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of law to perform them. You could take the Ten Commandments. Back then, the Israelites, they probably failed one, two, three, probably all ten of them at one point in their lives. And it says they are cursed if they're living just under the law. Because they didn't have anything to justify them. If I broke a commandment, I should be punished. There's nothing that can mediate, nothing that can justify me from that. Not all these good works that I'm doing, that's not going to bring me from this curse. The law itself also makes us accountable for our transgressions. If we look in verse 19, it says, Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of the mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Paul saw the law as something that revealed man's sinfulness and the inability to save himself and the desperate need for Christ. And so it makes us accountable for our transgressions by, yes, there is punishment for my sin, for me not living up to that. So this is what the law does by itself. The law keeps us in custody. Paul is a great writer of letters. He likes to use imagery. And when he says, But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. This is basically, he's comparing the law to a jail. A jail of guilt that we cannot get out of. Because of the law, I'm worthless. I can't do anything right. I'm stuck here. How do I get out? But then also the law tutors us and leads us to Christ. The law is a tool, not something that justifies. Good works don't justify us. Now, I was looking at this word tutor. And again, no Greek, Hebrew, or English scholar. But the word uh, pedagogos 
um, which means is basically a slave, whose duty was to care for a child from when they were infant into adulthood. And their job as the tutor was to take them to school, make sure they were educated, make sure that they learned everything in life. And they were there with that child from infancy to the time they were an adult. Paul has some great imagery of, he uses this law in verse 24 as, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified through faith. From the time that we see that we are sinners, and that we need salvation from this sin, it shows us our need for Christ. It takes us along this path of guilt, of knowing I can't justify myself. Now, if we see what the law does by itself, we also need to see what the law doesn't do by itself. And what the law doesn't do by itself, it does not justify you before God. Plain and simple. Verse 11 says, Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. Romans 1.17, Paul wrote it again. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous one will live by faith. Simple. The law does not contradict God's promises. In verse 21, it says, Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law has been given, tenuousness, which indeed have been based on the law. The law was there to show sin. God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. There's things that God has promised. He knows all. But this law, these things that they were saying, I need to do this, 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 all these good works, like, it didn't contradict what God promised. And also... What the law doesn't do by itself is makes us sons and daughters of God. The law by itself does not redeem me and allow me to have a relationship with Christ. We need to set that in stone right there. Of I can't do anything to make me a son and daughter. No good works no amount of how much I give to charity, how much I love on the difficult person will get me to have a relationship with Christ. That brings us to how faith works. So Paul talking about the law, but he also talked about faith. Faith is what links us to God. It allows us to be connected to God and his power. It is the only means for us to receive the blessing of Abraham and the promised fear. 
And we also see that by faith, Jesus made a way for us to be rescued from the curse that comes to all lawbreakers. You look in verse 10 to 14, you see how Paul breaks it apart. Of For as many as the works of the law are under a curse, it is written, Curses everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Curses everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now that promise of the Spirit, you have to realize what this promise was. And we'll be coming to Abraham, and it connects with Abraham and people of Old Testament, but this promise of that they would be saved, that there would be salvation from their sins, that he would send a Messiah. And so this first point, by faith, Jesus made a way for us to be rescued from the curse that comes to all lawbreakers, the curse that comes to us for being in sin. And by faith, God pours out his promised spirit on us. In that intro in Galatians 1, Paul was reminding them that God poured out so much in their life. That it wasn't their work and the law, their good works, but it was Christ doing the work in them. And by faith, Jesus, through his sacrifice, justifies us. Verse 24 again. Therefore the law has become our tutor that leads us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. Faith allows us to come to this point where we see the law is not going to do anything, but only Christ can. Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Christ's blood. The ability for us to have a relationship with him. And by faith, Jesus allows us to be children of God. We're adopted. He brings us into his family. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. He counts us as sons and daughters because of our faith. Not because of the law. Not because I do all these good things. But because I have faith in God. Now, we get to Abraham. So what's up with Abraham? When you look at the context of what's going on, Paul, it's not just in Galatians. He has it in Romans and some other letters. But he uses Abraham because these Judaizers and the Jewish people, they would focus on these things that we do, which we get into that. And with Abraham, one of the things that they really focused on was that status of Abraham got circumcised. So if you're not circumcised, then you're not following God. And they used that as 
works, workspace. This is something that I need to do. And Paul uses Abraham, and he obviously was cross-referencing what we see as Genesis. But he uses Abraham four different points in Galatians. And Paul uses Abraham in Galatians as an example and a testament of salvation through faith before Christ's coming and crucifixion. I'm going to say that again. Paul uses Abraham in Galatians as an example and a testament of salvation through faith before Christ's coming and crucifixion. So if you look at Galatians 3, 6 through 9, we see, Even so Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preaching the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then those are who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. You look at Galatians 3.14. In order that in Christ, Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promised spirit through faith. Galatians 3.16-18 says, Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say unto the seeds as referring to many, but rather one. And to your seed, that is Christ, what I am saying is this. The law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to nullify the promise, for it is the inheritance is based on law. It is no longer based on a promise. But God has, but God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. And then Galatians 3.29. 3, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. Now, Paul wanted to hit directly at where the problem was. And it was the idea of, well, back then Abraham did this, so we need to do this, and this is how we keep people accountable, rather than how does God keep us accountable. When we have faith in him, it changes how we look at things. And you can even go back in the Genesis 12, 1 through just 3 and see this promise that he gave. Abram and Abraham are the same thing. And now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God sends Abraham out. Because he knows that Abraham believes. But also he knows that Abraham obeys. And we see that in Hebrews eleven seventeen through 9. And it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested offered up Isaac. 
and the one who had received the promises were offering up his only son. God said, I will bless you. And for those that didn't know, it took a while for him and his wife Sarah to have a son. And he was blessed with that. And in Hebrews 11, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and the one who had received the promises was offering up his only son. It was he to whom it was said, Through Isaac your descendant shall be named. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. By faith, Abraham. Can we say, by faith, I trusted God in this circumstance? And I want to bring out some things that came into Galatians. Paul shows us that Abraham believed God in the hard circumstances, in giving up his son, in moving to a different country, in traveling. Because of that, it, or his belief, was reckoned to him as righteousness. It wasn't his obedience or his good works or the things he did. Because his belief in God, he obeyed God because he believed God would provide. He believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. It's not he obeyed God and that's why he's righteous. Obeying came from his belief. And I think that's something that we can get mixed up of. We come to the law, we come look at these things, and we say, I need to do these things. I need to obey. Yes, you do need to obey. But if you don't believe in the one true God, the one that can justify us, that paid the price, you're just doing things. I can look at all these laws, I can do it, I can look good on the outside, but it's filthy rags. Also, Paul talks about how Abraham had the gospel preached to him beforehand, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. And you can find that in Genesis 12, 2. You can go look at Galatians 3.8 where he quotes it. And because of that, those who are of faith and Abraham the believer, those who are of faith as Abraham the believer are blessed. And I find it interesting how Paul words this. He says, Abraham the believer. Not Abraham, the guy that did all these good things. Abraham, the believer, he believed God and followed. Those who are of faith, as Abraham, the believer, are blessed. To Abraham back then, they didn't have Jesus. They didn't have him on the cross. They had this promise that Christ would come. And Abraham saw this as, 
all the nations will be blessed in you of what's going to come. And he trusted in God's word. And I want to bring us to Romans 4. I want to read a little bit out of it. Again, Paul talks about it a lot. But it gives us more meat, more information of what's going on in Abraham's life. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited to him as a favor, but as what is due. I want us to read that again. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Is this blessing then on the circumcised or the uncircumcised also? For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised. Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, the seal of the righteous of the faith, which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them, and the father of circumcision to those who do not only are of the circumcision, but who also fall in the steps of faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. For the promise of Abraham, or to his descendants, that he would be the heir of the word was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void, and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is no violation. For this reason, it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, and not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. In the presence of him who he believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations, according to which had been spoken, so I shall make your descendants be. What can we take away? We can take away that Abraham believed. He didn't do anything special or above and beyond. He obeyed God. He believed and obeyed God. Now, if we look at ourselves, you might be 
yeah, I know I should do that, but why? Like, okay, I can do all these things, but why should I believe God? And I think that's more of an aspect of we need to look at why we have faith in Christ. We can say, yep, I believe God, I love God, he's my superhero, woo! We can be cheerleaders, but do we actually have a relationship? Do we know who he is? And a question we can say is, what do I believe about God and his word? We need to self-examine. Do I try to balance my shortcomings with all the things I can do? Abraham believed. But what do we do in this situation? We also see God worked in Abraham's life. Each moment Abraham trusted in God and had faith in him, God worked and provided and blessed him through it. Why do I trust what I can do, my works, rather than God? That's something we should ask ourselves of. If we look at Abraham, God worked. We see God working different times in the Bible. Why do I still trust in myself if I see that he's worked? Is it actually real to me? Or is it just a Bible story that I learned in Sunday school? God blessed Abraham and kept his promise to Abraham. God counted Adam's, Abraham's belief, not Adam's, Abraham's belief as righteousness and justified him because of his faith in God and what he had promised him. The question to ask ourselves is what's keeping me from trusting the character of God? Do I actually know God and who he is? And with all these points, I think it gets us into something. Whereas, how do we determine God's character? If I have faith, I believe God's going to do something. I have a strong conviction of his character, what he's doing, what he said. Before our faith to be connected to the true gospel, we have to come to this, how do I determine God's character? I think it starts with, what does God say about himself? If we look at God's word, what does he say? He says, I'm the alpha and the omega. I'm the first and the last. I'm the rock. I'm the door. I'm the great shepherd. I'm the head of the church, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God's clear of what he says about himself. We need to come to him. Not the law, not our good works, not the things I can do. Also, when looking at God's character, we come to God's track record is a good way to put it. What has he done? You can look in the Old Testament and see how he provided for his chosen people, Israel. They sinned. He gave them punishment. He rescued them. 
They sinned, and the cycle continues. He also never left them, though, or forsake them. When they cried out to him, he was there. God also, if you look at it, the exodus out of Egypt. He protected the people out of Egypt. He was there with them. Also, his track record, he sent his son to die for us. He paid it with blood. He paid it on the cross. Also, when looking at character of people, it's important to know what people say about someone. If I'm going into a job, they usually want character references. They want the people that know you to give testimony about, hey, yeah, that guy, he's trustworthy. And for God's character, we have a testimony of God's people. You can see how God provided in David's life. You read all the Psalms. He is praising the Lord. He's saying, he is my rock. He's my shield. He's my defender. He's the one I need to keep running to. David messed up. David had hard things in his life, but his testimony is God is my rock. He's the one I need to come back to. How God provided for Noah and his family. Noah believed God, made an ark. And him and his family were saved. And his life is a testimony of how God worked to those that were faithful. And even how God blessed Abraham. Being old, him and his wife Sarah, they were able to have a kid. Probably around Pastor Al's age. Think of it that way. And God blessed him through that. And many nations came from that. And Abraham is a testament of God's faithfulness. And so the question for us right here, we looked at the law, we look at how faith works, we come to this Abraham guy, we talk about belief. What's your faith rested in? Is your faith rested in what I can do? I come to church, I listen to God's word, that's great. Or do you have a faith of knowing that whatever comes, I know God has it. I can rest in Christ. It's not what I do, but who I come to. A.W. Tozer said this, True faith rests upon the character of God and asks no further proof than the moral perfections of the one who cannot lie. Do you know who God is? Do you see him as someone that you can believe, that you can come to, that you can put full trust in? For me, it's a new thing being married. I'm two months in. She hasn't left me, so it's a good thing. 
But I've been really convicted going through this of <laughs> Molly is very good at numbers and finances and budgeting, which I lived in a, guy, a house full of guys, and we didn't have budgets. <laughs> we just bought things. And my mom can tell you I'm really good at going on Amazon and buying things and getting, oh, yeah, I can get that. And, you know, living from paycheck to paycheck. But then when you actually, like, put it in perspective, you're like, oh, there's this I have to account for. There's this. There's, oh, we need to buy a house. Or we should buy a house so then we can have kids and another dog. I think the dog was first before the kid, but we don't know. <laughs> but many times I focus on the things. I think of, in this new situation, all these things are happening. <laughs> Where's God in the picture of this? How do I have faith in Christ in these new challenges, in these new things in my life? In the finances of figuring out things, I can Think more about the logistics of things rather than how can I be blessed by believing God will provide in this? That doesn't mean I won't go through difficulty. There will be difficulty. There will be arguments of how we should spend our money. Molly will win. Um, <laughs> and the same goes for us. As we're here in the church, as we're looking at God's word, where's our faith in? Is our faith in how good our church looks, this family aspect, this all this people coming in, or the numbers of how many people are coming in, or how well we do at the parking lot party? No. Our focus, our faith needs to be in God. He's provided so much for this church. I can tell you how much has changed. Not as much as Pastor Ralph and Charlotte can because they've been here a very long time. I've been here since I was two days old. So that's only like 27 years. But God has blessed this church in the way through hardship. We were without a pastor for two years, but I saw immense growth in what God did in this church. Of, but we had to come back to him, to discipleship, to who he is, to how he would provide. And if we don't have a true faith in what God did, who he is, what he's going to do, it's going to fail. And so in closing, I want to ask two questions. And these two questions, I challenge you to take this week. Kind of look as you're going through the week, how you can apply them. What things do I rely on more than what God says? It's a good thing to self-reflect. And it can tell you where you put your trust in more. And also another question is, what characteristics of God encourage me to trust God? If I'm self-reflecting and I'm looking, 
at the things I'm relying on, I think I also need to realize, how do I come back to Christ? For me, the characteristics of God that encourage me to trust God is I see that he's faithful. That he is all-powerful. He controls things. His timing, man, it's not in my timing. I would like things a little bit faster, but God provides, and you get to see it in your life. And so, as we think about faith, I challenge this church body to really think of what are we having faith in? Is it actually God? Or is it ourselves? Jesus, Lord, thank you for who you are. That you revealed to us in Scripture just your faithfulness to how you provided for your people, how you worked in the life of Abraham and Paul, and even in our lives. Lord, I just pray that as we really reflect on your scripture, that we take it and use it. That church isn't something that justifies us. That these things I do don't justify me. You justify me by me having faith in you and what you did and the promises. Lord, thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, and I just pray for someone that's struggling through that right now, of whether it's sickness or heartache or things going on in their family, that they can have faith that you would work it out. Even if a broken relationship happens because of it. Even if they suffer with an illness. Whether they lose someone, they can still have faith knowing that you can use it. Lord, I pray for anyone that doesn't know you. That they can cry out to you. It's nothing special. But just knowing that you are the one in control and that they're a sinner and that they need you and what Christ did on the cross. Lord, thank you for all that you do. And I pray that you would be honored in your name.